No, you ain't putting any clothes on me. This is proof of my innocence. That's my logic at that time, which was not bad logic. Cut to, we're walking out front. Neighbors and five cop cars are out there. I'm in my birthday suit. Will not wear anything. Get put in the back of the car. And now we drive to the precinct. And we get out of the precinct. As they walk me up the steps, outside, downtown Austin, I get to the front of the police station and out walks this big six foot six inmate. And he's holding a pair of like cotton gel pants. <laughs> and he walks up to me and puts his hand out with the pants. And I look at him, I go, proof of my innocence, man. And he looks at me and he goes, man, we're all innocent. You do, you do want to put these on. <laughs> That, my friend, is Mr. Matthew McConaughey. And you're about to get Trudy McConaughey with his wit and his wisdom and his cheer and his cheekiness and his charm because there's plenty more where that came from. Oh, yeah. And this is How to Wow, my friends, brought to you by the wonderful folks at M&S Plant Kitchen. That is M&S Plant Kitchen, where you can find over 100 vegan-friendly tasty treats to eat on the go or to toss into your basket to take home for the fam and your friends yeah, you know those guys. And if you haven't tried M&S Plant Kitchen's No Chicken Kiev, then boy, do you have a treat in store. Oh, yeah. Back to the show. Mr. Matthew McConaughey has a new book out. It's awesome. It's called Green Lights. That's all I have to say about it, to be honest. I'll leave most of the rest to the man himself. This is me with Matthew McConaughey. Hey, 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 hey. Cue the conversation. Good morning, Matthew. How is the blueberry in the tomato soup? <laughs> Ready and waiting. We have a big day coming up to see if our blueberry spreads or if the soup keeps on pouring. Just for people who don't know what we're talking about, explain that phrase. So, live in Austin, Texas. Um, Austin is a red state, it's a Republican state. Austin is the one Democratic uh, county in the state of Texas, the only blueberry in the tomato soup. <laughs> and how is the state of cowboys and hippians on the eve of the eve of your 51st birthday? Well, you know what? They're the same guy. That's the, my favorite part, <laughs> is the cowboys and the hippians are, are, are the same guy on the eve of my 51st. Um, that's the great mix of this, this, this city and why I love it, is it's a great mix of both. Okay, and how is the egotistical utilitarian on the eve of his 51st? So far, so good. <laughs> I make those decisions that are best for me and the best for we. Uh, so far, so good. I see you've checked out the book. I like it. I have read it back to front uh, and twice over upside down and in my lady's chamber. Unlike Joe Rogan, who I, I pretty much would bet hadn't read it, but you had a good chat anyhow. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. You uh, um, you definitely, I can tell you read it. You've already brought up a couple <laughs> of hidden gems that were snuck in there that you probably went, what the hell is McConaughey talking about here? No, I didn't at all. I love Matt. I loved it. It's I, I do this, you know, I do this, I do this for a living. But what I also do for a living mostly, um, other than talk on the radio, is read books to talk about on the radio. And this is the most original, uh, uh, most left of field, most useful, um, uh, most fluid and fluent uh, book, uh, playbook slash memoir I've ever read. So congratulations. Tell us about oh. the tell us about the piles, the piles of content that you named out in the desert that manifested themselves into what I've got in front of me. Yeah, so I've been keeping a journal for 36 years. Journals, all right? So I've got a big treasure chest full of journals that I've been threatening to take away to the, somewhere in solitary confinement and see what, if anything was worth putting on the page. I've been threatening that for 15 years, but it was too kind of chicken to do it. Um, finally, coming on a couple of years ago, I, myself and my wife said, get out of here and go see what you got. I took them to the desert. I unpacked them. And for eight days, I sort of said, what do I have here? And what I had was a huge stack of stories, a huge stack of people, stack of places, stack of prescribes, stack of poems, a stack of prayers, and a whole lot of bumper stickers. So I looked at those and said, well, let's see if there's a central theme in there. That's where the title Green Lights came from. Um, came out of that going, man, you've uh, uh, 
had some green lights in your life, which are, you know, sort of freedom in our life, things that say proceed, carry on, keep on doing what you're doing. I've had a lot of green lights in my life because of decisions I made. I've had a lot of green lights in my life because I got damn lucky. And I've had a lot of green lights in my life because of my perspective and how I looked at the situation. Um, and I also found that all the red and yellow lights, all the hardships, crises I've had in my life, actually had green light assets within them that I either noticed at the time, later on, or I'll notice on my deathbed. Yeah, this, I mean, you've done so much heavy lifting uh, on behalf of the rest of us, so thanks for that. Let's get straight in there with the, the funny, the fun, and the uh, formative and informative and your mum's extreme swimming lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how young I was, four-ish, three-ish, four-ish. I mean, I had had a couple of swimming lessons, but wasn't yet a solo independent swimmer myself, at least to my knowledge. We were off on a weekend in this place called on the Llano River um, in the central Texas. And there's this, you know, I'd call it more of a river than a creek. Um, it had a nice flow to it. It was over my head, and I was in that river with my mother. And as we approached the sound of the waterfall, which was a good five-foot drop onto rocks. Now, when you're four, foot, when you're four years old, that, that, that feels like a whole lot more than five-feet drop. Well, as she's coming down going next to me, saying, yeah, yeah, paddle, 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 and I'm paddling next to her, all of a sudden she... Let's go of me and walks back up. I gets out of the water on the bank and starts walking on the bank next to me down river, following me as I approach this waterfall. Now I'm flailing. Whoa, mom, come get me, come get me. I can't swim. She's like, swim, swim, swim. And I'm like, mom, mom, mom. She goes, no, swim or go over the falls. Well, that day I learned to swim. And I, got, I made it to the, uh, to the side of the bank about six feet before going over the falls and never needed another swimming lesson. Yeah, and why would you? And so, obviously, nowadays, social care would be involved in such practices. Um, and, you know, this is a, a, an echo from uh, the, the, the opening pages of your book, as far as your mum and dad brought you up generally. So just, uh, if you don't mind, because we've got to get through the gold. We haven't got much time. We've got to get through the gold here. Um, can you explain um, why you decided to tell us about your mum and dad having a particular fight one night and what happened next and how uh, they didn't make their excuses and leave at the end of it? Absolutely. So I opened the book actually with this story. Um, and again, this was around the time I was five. And another reason that on paper, if you just had the facts and didn't hear this story the way I'm going to tell it, you might want to call CPS, which is called Child Protection Services on that day, but there was no need to call them. And this is why I saw my, my dad came home one night from, from work. He was a truck driver at the time. He was a big man, six foot four, 265 pounds. And he had been putting on a little extra weight around the midsection. So when he asked my mom for more potatoes, please, she just shoved the entire saucer of potatoes there on his plate and goes, there you go, eat up, fat man. Well, not a nice thing to do. My dad flips the table and goes, gosh, dang it, Katie, which is my mom's name. Why you got to miss with me? I just, why you got to mess with me? I just want a meal in peace. Let me eat. I've had a hard day at work. Well, my mom and I, my mom knows what's going down. Okay, it's about to get violent. She runs over to the phone to call the, the, the cops, maybe, but mainly to pick up the big phone. So when my dad approaches her, she rakes it across his nose and breaks his nose right there. Blood's gushing on the floor. She then reaches over as he backs away and grabs out of the drawer a 12-inch chef's knife and pulls it out and starts telling him, I'll cut you from your nuts to your gulliver. And dad starts parrying around, staying out of sight of this waving 12-inch blade. Um, I'm watching in horror, but Dad seems to be finding some humor in this. And as he's moving around, dodging Mom's flashing blade, he sees a bottle of ketchup on the counter, a Heinz ketchup bottle. As he grabs it, he uncorks the top, and he, hold, he brandishes it like a matador. And as she waves the knife, every time she slashes at him, he <laughs> sort of <laughs> splatters ketchup across her. And she's starting to get really frustrated that she can't get to him with the knife and also really pissed off that the ketchup is covering her and she's covered in ketchup. Finally, she drops the knife, starts crying and just looks at him. He drops the ketchup bottle. They look at each other. The next thing I know, they get in this wild embrace, go to the kitchen floor, which has ketchup and blood on it and make love. That's the time when I left. That's the part... <laughs> But of course, now for people who don't know, we've got to explain that your mum and dad were married three times, but to each other. 
Divorced twice, married three times to each other. Now, if that's not a great example of I can't live with you, can't live without you, yeah. but ending up living with you, then I don't know what is. And that's marriage for you, isn't it? That's the deal. Hey, they liked, you know, they liked a hurricane. Their relationship was like a hurricane in the Pacific. Um, not for me. I don't want that. I don't need that many right angles. I'll take a nice uh, a river like that one in Lano where we get some rapids for some excitement, but I don't need a tidal wave. So I think I like your mom. No, I, I really like your mom. I think I'm scared of your dad. Is that okay? Well, you got to remember, and look, my mom said this to me after reading the book, which she did approve of, more than approve, she really liked it. She did say, look, all those stories are true about y your dad and all those stories are true about me. And mind you, she started every one of those fights. Um, but she said, I wish you would have added more stories about 98% of the time when we were getting along and your dad was so loving and we got along and there were more stories like how he saved the cockatiel with mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation <laughs> and more stories about how they got along. Yeah. I mean, I just chose to tell those stories of like that seemed to be that were violent at the time because they were times that challenged the love that my mom and dad had. Yeah. They were the times yeah. you thought it might break, but it never did. Yeah, and the thing, Matthew, you know, um, is that you. I get what your mum wanted from the book, anyhow, because it's in there. Because you're it, so, you know. You've turned. You've turned. You've turned out more than all right. So it is all right. You know, it may not be all right. It wouldn't be all right today, but different times, different horses for different courses, as you say in the book. Yeah. And so um, then your dad passes away. So your dad passes away on day five of an extraordinary three-week job that you, that your second acting job that should have been one line. Sorry, first guy number two, yeah. No, this was Days and Confused. I thought you were guy number two on something before you were in Days and Confused. Oh, was I guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry? I might have been guy number two in like a theater of 52 guys in, as an extra in some picture before that. But I guess I didn't count that as, as my first acting job. Okay, well, sorry about that. I, I, I'm confused, <laughs> but I'm right. I think it was in My Boyfriend's Back. Okay, you're probably right. I just didn't have any lines, I don't think. So Dazed and Confused should have been a, a couple of days, but it turned into three weeks because you, cause you, cause you arrived on set and you had something and people wanted that something out of you. So Dad dies uh, in the first week of this. And then you say about, uh, about your dad passing, um, losing my father, like it is for many, was my most uh, seminal rite of passage in manhood. No more safety net, no one above the law and government looking after me anymore. It was time for me to grow up, time to say goodbye to the boy I'd been, building tree houses in the middle of the night. A realisation came to me. I carved these words into a tree. Less impressed, more involved. Let's do that. Can you talk to that, please? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I lost my dad, and anyone out there who's lost a, lost a father knows this, that it's tragic, but at the same time, that's when a lot of us boys become men. We can no longer rely on that safety net that our father is. So, so values and courage and things that my father was teaching me, I really was not enacting while he was alive. With him passing on, I started, this came to me. I was like, well, we better buck up and become a man, Matthew. You don't have that safety net. You don't have someone to rely on. And I remember that all the things that I revered, in, in life, fame, money, people, things that I, mortal things that I looked up to, they lowered down to eye level. And at the same time, all of the things that I looked down on, that I condescended, that I patronized, I looked down on, I sloughed off, said, oh, that's not worthy. They raised up to eye level. And I remember writing, the world is flat. I see further, I see wider, I see more clearly. I have to be less impressed and more involved in who the heck I am in life and the things that I'm going to face in life. Um, and that's been a really good one for me to carry throughout my life in relationships. And, you know, if I'm talking to you right now and I have such a reverence for you, I can't really be involved in this conversation because I'm like, wow, oh, my God. Right. So it, it's really been one that I've carried even when I got, you know, out to Hollywood and got got famous and stuff. I just said I have to be you have to be more than just happy to be here. You can have full respect for these mortal things, but you gotta be more than just happy to be here. Did it ever cross your mind to be over-reverent towards me this morning? <laughs> it just came up. <laughs> <Good morning. laughs> oh dear. Uh, by the way, am I keeping you from wine? No, you are not keeping me from anything. I am, I am partaking. I love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, so um, you also say, and I agree with you, it's very important to, to keep yourself uncomfortable just so you don't become too comfortable. And, and when the world is throwing you yeses, beware. Yes, beware. I mean, look, the, 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 
De the devil's in the yeses. The nothing knows. I mean, too many yeses, too many options can make tyrants out of any of us. Um, that's easy. So, you know, you know, I also say this. When you can, ask yourself if you want to before you do. You know, and all of a sudden when the world's throwing all these yeses and you're like, well, yes, I'd love to. Yes again, yes again, yes again. We forget to ask ourselves sometimes, well, wait a minute. Do I really want to or I'm only saying yes to it because this is the first time I've ever been offered? You know, whether that's the, your wine caviars or whatever affluences they throw at us. We got to watch those because a lot of times I know I, I say yes to things and have said yes to things just because I'd never been offered them before. So hell yeah, I want it. And then, you know, that that's fine. Experiment with that. But I found that going on forward, it's best to ask myself, hey, do I really want to? Is that something I really want? More is not always better. Let me uh, uh, um, let me let me customize what it is I want. Let me understand what I really want and things I don't want, so I can actually say no to some of those things that may be offered to me for the first time because that's not really what I like. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, but your daily discomfort is often exercise for you because that's that is important to reboot the system. I need to break a sweat. Look, I mean, look, I, I, I take an hour out of the day to break a sweat. I mean, it, whether it's for stress relief and, and staying in decent shape or, you know, the best sweat is the, the, the much more fun sweat is, you know, dancing late night with my wife. That's that's better than taking a jog, a hell of a lot better than taking a jog. But, yeah, if I can just break a sweat once a day, I find that I need that to set a demarcation between all the responsibilities I have and just uh, keep my mind fresh. Now, that, all that said, it doesn't mean you have to then trip yourself up on purpose whilst running downhill. And you have a chapter on running downhill, and I love that. The art of running downhill. Yeah. So, as we just said, you know, the devil's in the yeses, and we can get in a lot of trouble with, with, with too many yeses. At the same time, you know, I come from a small town, a blue-collar family. You work your way up, a little town of 10,000 people. All of a sudden, I get famous, and I'm getting you know, paychecks and all these things that I've never had. And I'm a little clumsy with all the yeses. So, But I'm catching green lights running downhill. And I had many times in early on in my career where I was really getting some things that were great, backstage passes, limousine rides, uh, the, any script I wanted to do. And I tripped myself running downhill so I could face plant because I didn't feel like I had earned it or deserved it. So I had a little bit of a non-deserving complex early. And that is a foolish thing to do <laughs> because what I have learned is when you are rolling downhill or the wind is at our back, to handle that gracefully is a better choice because guess what? Just when you think it's all downhill and you've got it all licked, the uphill's coming. Yeah. You know, some crisis, some red and yellow light will come. You don't need to create it for yourself, which I've been guilty of doing before. Yeah, dad's going to pass and mommy's going to sell stories to hard copy. Yeah, that's coming. <laughs> you know, trust that. And you don't need to create a red light and face plant and get a bloody nose as you tripped yourself just because you think you need to feel on the way. No, enjoy Easy Street because it'll get hard shortly. Okay, now the work that Matthew has done uh, putting this book together has been um, unconscious for three and a half decades and it's been conscious in the last year, which how come it's happened? And a lot of that has been to do with journaling uh, and keeping a diary. And what you have discovered yourself, Matthew, from what I can glean, looking back on all your notes and your poems and things like this and all your bumper stickers and all your affirmations, is that it's really important to write things down, not only when you feel bad, to get them out there and, and to, to get rid of, to, 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 to sort of externalize them, but also it's really important to write things down when things are going well so you can go back to that playbook and, and, and give yourself a leg up. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Look, we're, we're taught all the time to like dissect our failures. What did I do wrong? Oh, my God, I got to see why I failed there. But we don't often dissect our successes or when we're happy or when we feel like we found our frequency or when we're catching green lights. I, in my early 20s, I, I, I had a time where I was having great relationships with my friends. My, I was doing good in school. I had money in my pocket. I was rolling. And I remember I looked down, I was like, you hadn't written in your diary much lately. And I was like, uh, you better go back and write this down because you might need it later. And of course, when things are going well, what do we all think? Human nature thinks, well, this is how it'll always be. Uh -uh. We all know it's not going to be that. We get in a rut again. Well, to write things down, what our habits are when we're catching green lights, when we have found our frequency and we're on our frequency, is great because I know for me, when I get in a rut, I'm able to go back and go, what were you doing back then when you were rolling? What were your habits? Who were you hanging out with? Where were you going? What were you eating? What were you drinking? How much sleep were you getting? How were you greeting the day? How are you looking at life? 
And they've helped me recalibrate when I'm off track and off frequency to get back on frequency because I dissected what I was doing when I was feeling more satisfied. Absolutely. And uh, another mistake we all make is, you know, even if you get that playbook going and things are going well and you're aware that you don't trip yourself up going downhill because the uphill's coming, still there are more ruts over the uphill and uh, you often take yourself off. Now, one of the first times you took yourself off, you met a guy called Brother Christian. I like him. I'm allowed to like him a lot, aren't I? He's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. You are allowed to like him a lot. You know, I I just gotten famous in Hollywood. I was all this affluence was coming to me. People were saying, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'm going, wait a minute, I, my family and I've said that to four people in our lives. Where, where's this coming from? I was trying to, I needed to, to step out of Hollywood and go, let me figure out what the hell matters to me. Um, so I found this uh, um, monastery way out in the desert in New Mexico. And the, and the thing was, the directions were, you can't take the dirt road to get here, but if someone drops you off at this mile marker, if you walk 13 and a half miles, and ring the bell, we'll give you a place to sleep. So I uh, hitchhiked and got a ride to that to that place, got dropped off, walked the 13 and a half miles, rang the bell. Um, a young monk comes out and says, yes, come in, brother, come in, brother. He gave me a place to sleep. I slept the next morning. I said, look, I need to talk to somebody. I need to talk to somebody about to make some confessions about what I've been doing, what's in my mind, sins of the mind, sins of thought, sins of deed. He goes, oh, yes, Brother Christian would be a great man for you to talk to. So I go for this walk with Brother Christian. We walked for over four hours through the desert. He's got his hands behind his back, just walking next to me, head down, listening, nodding. And I am confessing all of these guilt-ridden sins that uh, of trying to figure out uh, what the hell's going on. Where's my mind? Where's my heart? Sin of deed, sin of thought. I purge to this man for over four hours. He does not say a word. We end up back settling into this bench next to the chapel as I'm finishing my confession, snot running out of my nose, tears dripping off my chin down to the floor. And this is another thing I did. And I finish. He hasn't said a word in four and a half hours. I wait about 10 seconds. He still doesn't say anything. After about 15 seconds, I look up at him. He looks at me and goes, me too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, thank you. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we're having trouble, we don't need advice. Yeah. We just need to be someone let us know that, hey, man, it's not just you. It's a human. It's a human. It's a human. It's part of the human endeavor. It happens to everybody. Um, so that was he. He's a cool dude. He actually married um, Camilla and I. Did he really? Wow. Yeah. What a wedding that was. John, John Mellencamp playing the, playing the wedding singer. John Mellencamp played the Psalms. Um, brother Christian. uh Oversaw the ceremony. It was a Catholic wedding. Our local pastor, Dave Haney, set everything up with the crowd and let them know exactly why they're here. And my wife's um, godmother from Candible showed up. So she blessed us in Portuguese and told us things like, you know, do not chase butterflies. If you plant your garden, the butterflies come to you. We had a Christian, we had a Catholic, and we had Melanchat. My older brother came to me after the wedding. He goes, hey, little brother, if there is a heaven... I think you got it covered. Yeah, I think you're already we there. Had... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you were there, Matthew. Sounds like you're there now. It, it felt like it. So you are part monk, you're part son, you're part dad, uh, you're part movie star, you're part uh, philosopher, but you are very much a nomad. I didn't realize you spent three years in your airstream with your dog. Yeah, traveled the country, and um, it was me and my dog, and that 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 was a front row to characters which I saw as like the perfect class for, for my vocation of being an actor. The people I met, uh, you know, I write early in the book, it, once you become famous, it becomes hard to meet strangers. Um, it becomes hard to be anonymous. And I've had to leave the United States and North America to go to places where people didn't know my name or spoke the language. But being on the road and that movement, to be able to move in wherever I wanted, and if I was ready to move on after that, I could pack up at any time and get those wheels rolling and head off down the highway and find another spot. Or you know, pick out my favorite concert in four nights and then let's drive to Detroit and do that. Pick out my favorite football game and drive across the country and hit that. And along the way, do business. You want to meet, Chris? I'll pick you up at this airport. We'll talk in the car for eight hours driving. I'll drop you off at the next airport. You get a flight out, lickety split. It was the best office I've ever had. And you made movies on the way. Yes, I would go stop. Like we made Amistad, I'd stop in Rhode Island. Uh, made quite a few movies along the way. 
um, Vancouver, just drive up there and on the road. Well, here's the next destination. We'll go park it. And when I would go to those locations, I would always stay in a really cool trailer park. There's that story of the one I stayed in on the Indian Reservation in Vancouver, which was it was a great spot. Um, stay there for, for three months instead of staying in a hotel. And is the canoe, your Airstream, is that your rosebud? Uh, <laughs> well, I have a, three more since the canoe. Oh, but the, come on! I have one called the Smithsonian. Right. Um, the Squaw. Uh-huh. And uh, the other one um, is, is the Closet. Wow, that's cool. Uh, but the canoe is still a uh, pride of place. The canoe's the original. The canoe's the one where I went out and and and, and took the rivers of of North America via the high, meaning the highways of, of of America, and really put. I put thousands of miles. I had one trip in thirty-one days. We put thirteen thousand seven hundred miles on it. But please, I was moving that. For for the record, uh, Your Honor, you do still have the canoe. Oh, no, the canoe is in my driveway right now. Right, okay. Because if, if you ever think about selling the canoe, can I buy it? Sure, but I'm not selling that. <laughs> that, that was priceless. That thing has, I mean, I, that's, it, that thing has stuff carved in the walls. Yeah, it has it seen it yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> so it is your rosebud then? Yeah, I guess it would be. It's my original. You know, I went after that design one from, I, did, I bought nothing but the shell. And I designed from the floor. The floor is is bourbon casket wood. Yeah. Um, to it, it's really tricked out. But the canoe is the original. Um, that was me and Miss Hud on the road three and a half years. I will never forget that. Yeah. How do you think the canoe feels about the Hollywood trailer? I don't think the canoe's that jealous. You know what? The canoe <laughs> might sneak over in the middle of the night and go slit the tires here or there, but, but. I don't. I think. I think canoes are all right. Okay. Trust me, the, the Smithsonian's not really a Hollywood trailer. It's just got six more feet. When you got three kids and you're living on set, it gives them a little room to sleep, so you and your wife get a little more room so you can sleep. You don't have to get defensive with me, McConaughey. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, right. In my top five green lights, and this book is full of green lights. It is called Green Lights with Matthew McConaughey. Is the Bongo Naked T-shirt green light, please, sir? Oh hell yeah. That's a good thing to advertise. That puts smiles on faces. How did it happen? <laughs> well, there's an extremely detailed story of it in the book, which obviously you've read, which is, I can't do it word for word because, boy, I did write really. It's a really great story. Um, that was a night after 36 hours of uh, a revelry um, after my, my alumni football team had beaten the number four team in the nation. In our home turf, and it was reason to celebrate. So that game was on a Saturday. Um, cut to Sunday night, 2.36 a.m., actually Monday morning. I'm still enjoying the victory. So we've gone through Saturday night, through Sunday, through Sunday night into Monday morning. Um, I decided it's time to turn it on down. I'm tired. Um, I, I, I've partied enough and celebrated this victory enough. Um, so I, uh, pull out my congas. They're there in the middle of the room. I put on some Henri de Conge and I start banging on my congas and, uh, being ready for bed. I was in my birthday suit. Well, that's when I looked up and somebody, two men in a blue, blue suits were coming, barging through my door. Next thing I know I'm slammed down and nightsticks are out and I'm kicking and screaming and going on and on and on. Um, they turn on the lights, they find my ID, the big cop who had me down with the knee in my back and a nightstick uh, says, oh, look at who we got here. He's very proud to see that it was uh, myself. He loved seeing that it was my name. And I picked this up. He also looked over and there was some uh, marijuana in the bowl. He goes, oh, and look at what we got here. So he felt like he was two for two. Now they get up and they want to take me out um, to put me in the car. I've now resisted arrest, and this whole thing has turned into much more than just a noise ordinance. And they go, here, let me get some clothes. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, you ain't putting any clothes on me. This is proof of my innocence. That's my logic at that time, which was not bad logic. They asked me again as they try to put a blanket over me and take me out. So I said, no, 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 don't you cover me. This is proof that I was minding my own business. <laughs> now, 
as I'm getting forced out of my house, um, this is about 30 minutes later, about five more cop cars have pulled up outside and about 40 of my neighbors are out front. Now they stop again to say, here, you want to put on the, you know, the blanket here to walk out. We're going to wrap you up. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not telling you again. This is proof of my innocence. And I'm going to tell everybody and everybody. And I yelled it out for, for blocks around. People heard me. <laughs> now there's a little walkway going out of my house that leads to, uh, it's an open gate. So on the left and right of the gate has the brick walls where the gate is. I get a bright idea that as we're walking out, I, and I'm being led by this cop behind me, who's got me in cuffs, that I am going to straddle the open area of the door gate, and I'm going to run up, right, left foot, up the walls, go head, feet high, come back down on the other side of the cop who's got me in the handcuffs. And while I'm in midair, I'm going to slip into a sort of a, a plie and slide my butt down between the handcuffs, let my feet come out the bottom, and plant the landing like an all-star... Uh, uh, acrobat and have my now cupped hands in front of me and look at the cop and go, take that. And I'm thinking he'll be so impressed with my, my uh, Houdini-like feet that he'll now say, well, of course, I'm going to uncuff you and let you go. <laughs> Silly me. What a great feat. <laughs> well, that little maneuver, um, as you might expect, didn't work. Um, I got about six feet up the wall and then got slammed to the ground by this cop. <laughs> anyway, cut to, we're walking out front neighbors and five cop cars are out there. I'm in my birthday suit, will not wear anything, get put in the back of the car, and now we drive to the precinct. And we get out of the precinct. They offer um, clothes again. Absolutely not proof of my innocence. Do not ask me that again. I'm telling you, this lets everybody know I was minding my own damn business. Okay. As they walk <laughs> me up the steps, outside, downtown Austin, I get to the front of the police station, and out walks this big six foot six inmate, and he's holding a pair of like cotton jail pants. <laughs> and he walks up to me and puts his hand out with the pants. And I look at him, and I go, proof of my innocence, man. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, man, we're all innocent. <laughs> you, do, you do want to put these on. <laughs> and it was the fact that it was maybe a fellow inmate oh. that was telling me that I went, okay. <laughs> and he... Squatted down, I lifted my legs, he shimmied them up my legs and noosed them around my waist, and I went in there and went to jail and was in the jail cell for about nine and a half hours and uh, stayed up, et cetera, et cetera. Well, 10 hours later, buzz turning to hangover. Oh my gosh, this doesn't, you know, what am I doing in jail? Um, a lawyer who, the same lawyer um, who, had, who had gotten Willie Nelson off earlier and uh, years before comes in and goes, look, this case has got to be thrown out. He comes in with the judge. He's like, look, how did it turn from a noise complaint to a resisting arrest? We've gone from a misdemeanor to this. It doesn't make any sense. The judge agreed. This makes no sense. She interviewed the cops. The cop's story didn't back, didn't add up. She goes, this is a $50 fine, and you're out of here, much more or less. And so paid the 50 bucks and was out of there. Now I got the choice to go either to the right and... There's a private car waiting for me in the garage, or I can go to the left where I'm told there's a whole lot of press. And I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. What to do, what to do, what to do. And I thought about it. And I said, you know what? Everything, what I did, I don't feel guilty for. I've done it before. I will do it again. But I don't like the fact that I was in jail. Whatever it happens, and I write about this in the book, my parents cared about you getting caught. It wasn't as much about the deed. It was that you got caught. And I had gotten caught. Whatever you want to say, no excuses. I ended up in jail, and I was like, this is not a place I'm supposed to be. So that's where I was feeling a little bit guilty. But I decided to take the left and go to the go to the press. And I went out there and, you know, said a few things. We all They ended up cracking up. I ended up cracking up. Went home, and the next day there were bongo-necked T-shirts all over Austin <laughs> and all over Texas. <laughs> and I was like, yep, there you go. Um, there it is. Uh, but the only downside was then everybody knew where you live, but people um, they start started then deliver six packs to your door, like you like some kind of, you needed charity, alcoholic and you know sort of food and beverage charity. Well, that's what happened. Is after that night, you know what happened to me. I understand that should be that that's worthy of being front page of the metro section. But what's not worthy of being front page of your local city's metro section is a, is a picture of your house with the address under it. And the editor of the local newspaper put a picture of my house with the address under it. 
And I called him and I said, dude, you screwed me here. I mean, do you know how many people are going to be coming by my house? He was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I was like, well, you, you know, I get you have my picture, but not my address. Well, anyway, my house became, you know, little OJ's house. People came by four or five. The, the, the streets were packed with cars coming by. And this was a quiet little neighborhood that I lived in. And now all of a sudden people are coming, dropping by six packs of beer, bags of weed. They're, I mean, they're all in good. They're all coming in good favor. They're all coming like bringing me nice stuff, baking cakes, pies, barbecue, all kind, dropping all kinds of stuff off at all times of the night, and which was all nice, but <laughs> I sure did have to answer the doorbell a lot for a bunch of strangers. I didn't know who they were bringing me gifts. Um, I eventually noticed that what I had, the, the, the fact that he had printed my address and who I was, it changed the entire neighborhood I was in. The neighborhood I was in before I got arrested was... If the ball goes in the street, the kids can run after it without even looking for a car. Dogs ran without leashes. Now, all of a sudden, parents were at my friends. My friends were having to tell their children, ah, look in the street before you go. There's a lot more traffic. Ah, keep the dogs on a leash. Da, da, da. And so all of my, everyone in that neighborhood begged me not to leave. They said, no, we'll put up with it. We'll figure it out. Because I was friends with all those neighbors, except the one who called. And the guy who called on me actually had just moved in three weeks prior. So he didn't know the Austin kind of understanding of don't call the cops, just throw a rock over there and hit the door and yell over, would you? He'll, he'll turn it down. So yeah. they all asked me not to go, but I, I had to. I said, guys, it's not fair. Oh. And I, I had to think out of there. When I read that, I was really sad. Well, it was kind of sad because, man, that I'm telling you, there, that part of that neighborhood was 70-year-old couples and part of that neighborhood was 20-year-old couples. Kids, grandkids, people that had lived there and had the same phone number for all their life. And it was a quiet little neighborhood that like three little cars, three cars would slowly drive 20 miles a day, 20 miles an hour a day through it. And all of a sudden this happens to me. They print my address and now there's 350 cars a day. And it just changed the dynamic of the neighborhood. And it wasn't fair to them. Um, and if that wouldn't have changed, hell, I don't know. I might still be there. It was a great neighborhood. I'm still friends. I still talk. I just talked to a lot of those neighbors uh, less than three weeks ago. Good for you. Good for you. Um, when will you next? Actually, no. When did you last play the bongos naked? And might you play the bongos naked, say, in 36 hours on your birthday and after the U.S. election? Um, definitely birthday. Um, when was the last time? Uh, two Saturdays ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So just give me a little bit of uh, frame that just a little bit for me. You don't have to go too far, obviously. Oh, it was just it was just after a great work week, and my uh, wife and I were up having a great time, and um, it was it was still quite warm out um, outside. So we just opened up all the doors, and it was great. And actually, we were outside checking out, um, um, seeing how many shooting stars we could catch that night. And after about the, we stayed out there for a good um, eleven shooting stars. Yeah. Um, your and, life, your uh, life sounds terrible, Matthew. Hey, I'm. I didn't. I didn't read it. I just wrote it. I don't know which comes first. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so let's go on to uh, the McConaissance, uh, please. The story about it's a renaissance <laughs> with Matthew McConaughey. It's a McConaissance. What a fantastic phrase to come up with. I wonder who the heck came. Which genius journalist came up with that? Who came up with that? Did you come up with that? <laughs> mm. So I'm rolling on movies. I got a bunch of films that are coming out that are kind of sticking their head over the water's edge. They're getting some attention. Killer Joe comes out. We got Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, Mud had just come out. There's a couple others. And I'm in Sundance Film Festival with Mud, I believe. I think I had two pictures at Sundance Film Festival. Anyway, I've been on a roll after a two-year hiatus from working at all um, and only doing rom-coms. I've been on a roll of these dramatic roles that sort of were make, they were kind of puncturing the lexicon. They were kind of, oh, wow, hey, that's a really good performance. That's an interesting choice. And I'm talking with this interview one day, and he's like, you know, you're just, you're just on this roll. You just got these, these string of movies going. It's like, wow, what, what, what is it? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I hear you. I'm on a roll. Well, between that interview and my next interview, I started thinking, you know, I am kind of on a roll. I mean, this kind of roll, this, 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 this thing needs a campaign name. It needs an album cover. It needs a, it needs a bumper sticker. It needs a lyric. It needs a title. And so I'm in the next interview, and this interview says the same thing. He says, you know, McConaughey, you're just on a roll of these great films and these great performances. I don't know. I mean, I've never seen it's kind of different. I've never seen anything like it. You kind of roll. And I say to him, I said, yeah, you know, I was talking to uh, 
another interviewer earlier today, and he was saying the same thing, and he called it a reconnaissance. And the interviewer goes, reconnaissance? Wow, that's great. Do you like that? I'm like, hey, I mean, it sounds cool to me. Reconnaissance comes off the lips pretty easy. Sounds lyrical, fun to say, feels good. Yeah, I dig it. He's like, reconnaissance, great. Do you think that'll stick? I go, I don't know. Well, it's stuck. <laughs> now, your wife had a, that was the only thing in the book your wife had a slight issue with, wasn't it? She still goes like, oh, I don't know if you should have added that. She felt like it could come across as arrogant. I thought it was really funny. Um, and because it's factual and maybe it was arrogant or whatever it was, I it was a self-marketeering and I gave us, gave what I was on a title and gave it a name and people ran with it. And I was like, it is kind of a cool name. Yeah, no, I think it's a very cool name. And also I know that you talked to my good friend, Rich Roll about that. And he said it was really cool because it was like a confessional and I got the fact you're, own, yeah. you're owning it. I love it, Matthew. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the great things throughout the, the book, and, and, and you know this um, long before reading it, is the value of sense of humor. Yep. I mean, boy, oh boy, if, if we could all just make sense of humor our default emotion, think how much better we'd all get along. And you know what? I've been talking about this a lot lately. People think that when you laugh at something that it that it illegitimizes the crisis or it, or it denies that there's a problem. Mm. And it really doesn't. It actually can open it up to where two people can actually communicate and figure out and get up past the problem better. Yeah, I think, um, I so think, I think humor unties the knot. It, exactly. If we could more of that, untie the knot and sit back and have a giggle about it and then go, now let's still address the problem. But we've now untied the knot. Yes, sir. Um, yep. How do you get nine and a half hours sleep a night? It's my, been my natural number. And my wife has said to me when I say, hey, do, you know, you know, I don't ask it anymore because she let me know early on. She was like, no. You stay asleep. I would rather handle what I got to handle in the morning without you than be around you with not enough sleep. No, I get, half hour. I get that. But, you know, everybody says now there are books on it. There are courses. There are hotels you can go to for a week to learn to sleep. Uh, what are your what, when you, your head hits the pillow? Is it exhaustion? Is it peace? Is it tranquility? Is it, you know, being, you know, having a, a dialogue with your demons? You know, give us some give us a takeaway, please. Oh, I mean, I'd like to do a little bit of inventory on how my day went. I like to make a little bit of a list, an idea of what I have tomorrow, meaning what time do we get started? How long through the day? Am I back to back to back? What are my responsibilities? So I at least have an idea. Um, and if I know what I've kind of generally have to do tomorrow or a list made out, I sleep much better. Much better. Um, I sit back. My wife and I chat a bit. I don't do much reading there at the end of the night. I try to end the night with a little bit of chat and checking in on the day and what our plans are and how each other are doing. Mm. And then I just, man, I love I, I love my sleep and I have no trouble sleeping nine and a half hours. <laughs> and 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 sometimes I could go further. I could go longer. Stop it now! Stop it! I already hate you. All right, tell us about your good wolf and your bad wolf and feeding the good and starving the bad. Yeah, well, we all got both of them in us, right? I mean, everyone knows that. You know, trying to teach my kids that, you know, that that we all got the good one and the bad one in us. And it's just a matter of which one do you want to feed? Um, you know, the good wolf, the true wolf, you feed that one. I found that I have created and have earned more and engineered more green lights in my future by feeding the good wolf. Um, I do. I, if I fed my bad wolf, I wouldn't be able to sleep nine and a half hours. Okay. Now, sometimes I do feed my bad wolf. I'm not a Puritan here. Um, but if I overfed my bad wolf more than my good wolf, I wouldn't be able to sleep nine and a half hours. It, it, my, my conscience is pretty clear. I don't owe anybody money. Um, I don't, uh, um, like I say early on, I'm convinced that somehow the world's conspiring to make me happy. And some people go, well, who the hell do you think you are to say that? I don't know, man. It just, I've had a lot of good, good fortune fall on my lap and been fortunate enough to try and do my best with it. Um, I don't wish ill will on anyone else. I don't really need to f see you lose to make me feel like I win. Um, I, I am very competitive at the same time. I, I like I like chasing my better self as much as I can, just being a tad, trying to be a tad better. And if I screw up, uh, having a giggle at it um, and moving on. Um, I, 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 you know, good wolf, man. I mean, we know we know what feeds us, what can give us more ROI in our own futures. What can give us more mailbox money in our own future? And that's a lot about what Green Lights is about. How are we kind and cool 
to our future selves? Um, how do we tee ourselves up? And it starts with very simple things. And if people are like, I don't get that concept, think of a very simple one. Fill your, put your coffee in your coffee filter or however you have your coffee the night before. So the next morning, all you can do is push a button. However you have your coffee. Tee yourself up for ease the next morning so you don't have to fumble around and go, damn it, how, where's the filter? How do I make my coffee? Even little things like that. Um, try to teach the kids this, too. Hey, you know what I mean? You got a little bit of homework. You got an hour of homework this weekend. It's Friday. How, what if you knocked it out right now so Sunday you're completely free all day and night? Well, if you don't want to do that, we're going to interrupt the good time we're having Sunday because you didn't do it Friday. If you knock it out, you're like, I ain't got to do nothing. I'm still playing. So back to the greatest salesman in the world, uh, 30 times a day, I will form good habits and become their slave. I will form good habits and become their slave. That's, that's the opening scroll of that book, and it's a, it's a good one. And that book goes on to talk about, well, okay, what forms those habits? Um, that's, that, that's it, though. You know, what are the good habits that feed us? What are the good habits that, you know— Curveballs are coming anyway in life. Red and yellow lights are coming anyway. So how can we do our best to tee ourselves up for more ease, success, freedom, more of what feeds us, our true selves, in the future is, a, I think, a really valuable idea. Talk to me about getting relative. Ah, oh, well, getting relative. Look, when faced with the inevitable, get relative. Getting relative is something that so many of us are so slow to do. For instance, we got COVID right now. That's a fact. That's inevitable. So how do we get relative with that? Well, I'm not going to get into whether you go, we go back to work or whether we quarantine, but how do we get relative with that? With that? It sucks. It's disrupted everyone's life. In some people's life, it's, it's disrupted them in tragic ways. They've lost loved ones. But at the same time, if I'm choosing, like I am, to quarantine, I'm going, okay, what are the upfalls? What are the upfalls of this situation? Ooh, I'm going to have my kids around my mother all day long for six months. My Their grandmother's gonna be able to be around them every day instead of every month. We're gonna have two sit down meals. We're gonna say gratitude and prayers before our meals more. I'm gonna pet my dog. I've been petting my dog longer during this six months. My kids are doubling down on their creative uh, uh, hobbies more than they would if they were back in school. I'm trying to find the assets and go, this forced winter, this red light that's upon us right now, what are the assets of it? Well, I'm doing more inventory on myself. I'm having a look at what I value in my life more. I think our whole family is. And when we do get out of this, we'll never forget this summer or this six months or this year, however long in our lives. One more question. So I've been talking all week about the fact you're going to come on the show. And one guy screamed via the text, the email. Then he went on Twitter. Then he came on Instagram about a thousand times and said, I can't believe you got McConaughey on. I'm losing my hair. Ask him, what do I do? Aha. Well, sir. At 51, my hairline is better than it was at 35. Right, come on now. And I've never had a needle or a hair put in my head. I got on this stuff called Regenex. It's a topical. You rub it. It worked for me. I had an aboriginal handshake with somebody who said, look, if you really mean that you're going to grow your hair back, and I do too, and we both believe it, it'll happen. Now, I'm not much into Ooga Booga, okay? But whatever I'm telling you is I used to have a silver dollar of baldness on the top of my head, and it ain't there anymore because I got hair growing out of it. Um, Propecia is a good deal. If you want to maintain what you got, Propecia will not help you grow back more hair, but it will help you maintain what you have. I had I went to a, uh, uh, a hair transplant doctor who just said, look, I just want to meet you to see your hair because I know you have the best hair transplants ever because it our, it our forum every year, our international forum, we always bring up your slide of you and your hair and we use you as the example of the best hair transplants ever. And we ask the entire international world of hair, hair transplants, which one of you did it? And no one ever raises their hand. Why? Because no one did. And he goes, the last two years, there's this guy from Sweden who raises his hand and says, I did this. <laughs> and he goes, I just need to see your hair because I think this guy's lying. And now I know he's lying because you've never had hair transplants. So I'm going to go back and go, you didn't do it. Wow. You're just lying. And he goes, that guy's gotten so much business off of saying he did your hair transplants, which he never did. <laughs> see, that's so unswedish. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? So unswedish. Right. Um, have you voted yet? I have voted. By post. By post. Okay. Um, who do you think is going to win? I think Biden will 
win by a close match. Now, we are going to find out. If, if that is true, if what I believe is true, we will find out how peaceful or not our transition is. I hope that we don't get into some rancorous, anarchic civil war over here. Um, we, we, we've got to make sure that we can be as stable as possible. And whatever the outcome, once it's clear, we've got to, as a nation, as an entire people, it doesn't matter which side, we've got to embrace that fact and move forward because we're so damn divided now. It's, it's, it's just a perfect storm. You got unemployment, you got COVID, you got a cultural revolution in an election year. People need identity. No one trusts anybody. No one believes in anybody. We'll build our way out of this as, as a nation. And I mean, we're not the only nation that needs to build our way out of it. Humanity needs to build, build our way out of this time we're in. And it'll be a 20-year build. But um, we'll, we'll do it. It's just we got to start trusting each other again. And we got to start trusting ourselves again. And I, I, I think values are the stepping stone that's solid for us to step on to go forward out of this time. And so we can have expectations of ourselves and others. So we can have social contracts again with each other. So we can have some trust in others and ourselves again. It's not rocket science. It's all in that book, Greatest Salesman. It's all the same stuff our mamas taught us. We just got to double down on it. Absolutely. God bless your country, Matt. God bless um, all of us. God bless uh, lovely Camilla and Levi and Livingstone and La Vida. And uh, La Vida. God bless the Dooleys. God bless the Dooleys. I wouldn't be. <laughs> if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Dooleys, mate. Okay, now let's not tell anyone about the Dooley's. For the Dooley story, you've got to buy the book, but buy the book anyway. If you can't afford it, borrow it or ask somebody to buy it for you for Christmas. Matthew, thank you so much. Um, uh, good luck with everything. I hope it all works out well. I love your book. It's, a, it's already a New York Times bestseller, and I know why. Bye-bye. Boom. Hey, Matthew McConaughey there for you, uh, loud and proud from Austin, Texas. And believe me, you're going to find yourself talking like this for the rest of the day. Can't help it. Being the company of that man. If you like this episode, rave and review. In fact, even rate and review and subscribe, for heaven's sake. If you didn't like it, well, ain't much I can do about that. Okay, bye-bye, 10-10, till we do it again, slip it down by the side. I'm gone.